Welcome to the Mystic and the Skeptic. In this week's episode of Heritage Hunters, we'll go deeper into the history of crypto-Jews or descendants of the Spanish-Portuguese Jews in the Americas, known as the Anocene. This often maligned group, who are no longer called Moranos, keep popping up in popular culture and every now and then in major Jewish publications. However, just because it's an interesting topic, that does not mean that any one really cares about these individuals. The reason that I sound cynical is because most crypto-Jews are either in a no-man's land of sorts or are part of many evangelical churches which are only interested in some kind of Israelism. Few people seem to care about crypto-Jewish survival or are interested in developing programs for the return to the mainstream Judaism which is crucial for the normalization of their experience. Please join me on this journey through the world of crypto-Judaism as we explore their experience from my point of view, as someone in the trenches of the battle for Jewish survival in the modern world. The last two episodes were presented in my lecture at a genealogical conference, in which we discussed the origins, challenges, and alternatives to this historical phenomenon. One aspect of this experience is the challenge of being part of another invisible group, people in the U.S. Although Latinos make a little less than half the population of Texas, we're often ignored, dismissed, or demonized. Being someone with a very common last name, I struggle to explain my background. Through my research, I have found that there are other names in my family which are of Jewish origin. The most common theory is that when Spanish Jews were forcibly converted, they were named after objects, animals, or areas where they lived. Pseudo-scholarly individuals also claim that people who are originally Jewish added a Z to the end of the last name to be identified as members of the tribe or coming from Zion. So far I have identified people's last names which end with an S are Portuguese and the others are Spanish. So is that enough evidence for someone to identify as Jewish? Not at all. Names are easily interchangeable, especially when you are fleeing persecution. Another factor is that Jews did not use last names until the common era. For that, Israelites used their father's name as a family marker, being son of so-and-so. Our Ashkenazi or Eastern European brothers and sisters at times pretend that their last names show off their special pedigree or are a sure marker of their Jewish lineage. However, if we're going to be honest about this, the ancestors of crypto-Jews experience a similar situation than other Jews fleeing persecution. When you lose everything, your last name is the last thing on your mind. Another ongoing challenge is ignorance on the subject. We will discuss the ongoing challenge of being a child of the captivity further in another episode. We start with an interesting anecdote. The Pope was a Morano Jew. In 2004, around the time of the release of the Passion of the Christ, I decided to visit a traditionalist Roman Catholic church where Mel Gibson's father had attended. At that time, I was trying to find out more about their perspective, since it had been reported on the media that they were Holocaust deniers and anti-Semites. This was my impression as I met the elders of the community. The priest was a true traditionalist, since he believed that every other religion was untrue and that it was his duty to evangelize everyone, including the Jews. He mentioned a group which actively misunderstood Jews led by friars back in the 19th century, made up of Jewish converts. One of the elders of this church is friends with Mel Gibson, and he was upset that he had denied the supremacy of the Roman Catholic Church during one of the interviews with Barbara Walters. 
The owners of the church religious store were very friendly and took me out to lunch, sharing how the modern church has strayed from Jesus' message of exclusive salvation through him. The Ducey was an associate of the church store folks. He went into a rant about the Pope at that time. Joseph Ratzinger, who was a Jew lover and an anti-Pope. At the end of his rant, he claimed that one of the medieval popes was a Marano Jew. According to Israeli newspaper Haaretz, quote, Pope Alexander VI, the infamous Borgia Pope, was often lamped as Jewish by his enemies, most notably by Cardinal Giuliano de la Rovere, who would later be Pope Julius II, because the family of Borgia was of Spanish origins coming from Valencia. The Borgias were often called Maranos, that is, Jewish converts to Christianity. The fact that Pope Alexander VI was friendly to the Jews and allowed Jews expelled from Spain in 1492 to settle in Rome didn't help his reputation. End quote. It's interesting that the purity of blood ideas are still prevalent among traditionalist Catholics. I would argue that most Catholics in Latin America, including Mexico, don't follow modern Catholic trends or care about interfaith relations. Even mainstream conservative Catholics see Vatican II as a liberal takeover of the Church. This is the time when the Church made peace with the Jewish community. In my opinion, these traditionalists are more consistent with historical Christianity and Catholic theology. They regard Jews as blinded sons of Cain and crypto-Jews as Judaized and heretics. So next time someone tells me that the Catholic Church loves the Jews, I'll remind them about their classical theology, which cannot be done away with with a political correct statement coming from the Vatican during the last 40 years. Santeria among Conversos Growing up in Mexico, we had many superstitions, including the belief in practical magic, or what I would call Mexican Santeria. How is this related to crypto-Judaism? Many books have been written about the role of magic in Judaism. However, this only addresses Babylonian, Persian, Greek, and Roman influences or, or superstitious practices. Similarities with mainstream religion have been debated. Scholars would describe magic as individuals trying to manipulate nature for their own purposes instead of praying to God for assistance, as in most religions. There's also research that has been done in medieval and pre-enlightenment use of magic in Jewish circles, or even the connection with magic and practical Kabbalah. I would like to contend that when crypto-Jews were stripped of their religious community and education, and forced to participate in Roman Catholic rituals, they turn into the occult to fill in the gap in their daily observance. One of my ancestors used the curanderos, or modern-day shamans, to deal with her illnesses. As I discuss these practices, we also have to look at home remedies, which are part of crypto-Jewish experience, being Jewish in origin, which at times competed or complemented Mexican santeria to bring about the desired result. I came across an article on Spirituality and Health magazine based on the book by C. Lynn Carr called A Year in White, Cultural Newcomers to Lukumi and Santeria in the United States. There she describes how Afro-Cuban Santeria has been misunderstood by Americans to be a form of superstition. According to the Instituto Nacional de Antropología e Historia, quote, on regard of African part of Santeria, Juarez would declare that the case of Mexico is different because there are no identity narratives as in other contexts. When analyzing Santeria in a transnational context, it is obvious it will adopt regional characteristics. 
end quote. To him, Santeria incorporates practices, symbols, and elements of the host nation. Mexican Santeria has gone through a process of mestizaje, in which Spanish, indigenous, Mexican, and Afro-Cuban traditions are blended together. Lincar is a secular Jew who is now a leukemia priestess. In like manner, some Mexican conversos assimilated Santeria practices as my grandmother on my father's side. A topic discussed during my last presentation was citizenship to Spain, Portugal, or Israel. With all the hype around receiving citizenship of countries of the Iberian Peninsula, I think it's important for us to consider that these secular countries are often more strict, at times discriminatory towards Latin American conversos than we might think. Our RNC movement does not follow the same criteria in order to carry a process of return to Judaism instead of conversion. Most so-called authorities on the subject make it necessary to have documents that undoubtedly demonstrate Jewish ancestry on the mother's side, not only at the genealogical level, but also the Jewish level. In the case for the Benayan Nusim, these are documents of Spanish Inquisition, which it is found that our ancestors have been Judaizers. It's important to emphasize that due to the distance in time with the time of Inquisition, cutting research like this is and obtaining positive results is not always easy or viable. Also, the current return process available are not accepted to perform aliyah, obtaining citizenship through the law of return to the state of Israel. So it forced people to seek a more strict and often religiously restrictive form of Judaism to be accepted by Jewish communities in the land of Israel. Regarding Portuguese citizenship, the below quote shows that secular countries which created anti-Semitism are still anti-Jewish in their approach since they don't understand that Judaism is linked to Israel as an independent nation. Quote, Certificates may be annulled, and if it comes to the committee's notice that false documents were used in the certification process. In such case, the applicants shall be prosecuted anywhere in the world by our lawyers, the same occurring with slanders acting for material reasons, such as journalistic corruption, extreme Zionism, malevolence, etc. The most troubling is this extreme Zionist perspective, because they become the arbiters of what they consider to be extreme Zionism. And as we've discussed in the past on the show, um, not everything has to be mutually exclusive. Someone can believe that Israel has a right to exist and is a safe place for Jews to live, as well as not appreciating the government policies and the treatment of the population that is not Jewish in origin. Following is an article by Mel Goldberg regarding a brief history of the Jews in Mexico. Quote, Jews have lived in Mexico since the 14th century. In 1492, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand of Spain ordered the conversion or exile of all Muslim Jewish subjects. Jews who had converted to Catholicism were called New Christians or conversos, also known as Marranos. They often continued practicing Judaism in secret after they had officially converted. Historians believe Hernán Cortés had converted Jews among his men when he conquered the Aztecs in 1521. In 1531, a group of Spanish Jews and conversos who had originally found refuge in Portugal emigrated to Mexico, then called Nueva España, under the rule of Royal Viceroy Antonio de Mendoza. In the New World, they believed they could retain their historical Spanish identity and continue to practice Judaism. 
because Mendoza was a common name among Spanish Jews, some historians suggest the viceroy himself had a Jewish conversor background. Until 1571, those who had immigrated to the New World were able to practice Judaism openly, but that year marked the beginning of the Mexican Inquisition, an extension of the one in Spain. Again, both practicing Jews and conversos lived in fear. During the Spanish Inquisition, thousands had been burned as heretics. The Mexican Inquisition was not as bitterly hostile as Spanish. Records indicate that fewer than 100 were denounced as heretics and executed by burning. Kingdom of Nuevo Leon. In 1579, King Philip II of Spain established the Kingdom of Nuevo Leon, present-day Nuevo Leon, Tamaulipas, in South Texas, a colony north of Nueva España to be governed by Luis de Carvajal, a Portuguese Spanish nobleman born in 1539 to Jewish converts. To help populate the colony, both conversos and practicing Jews were welcome. Carvajal was later accused by the Inquisition of heresy and died in prison. Monterrey still bears some of the customs of Jewish heritage particular regional specialty of Cabrito, rose goat based on the Jewish cuisine of the founders of the city, some Sephardic family names like Garza. But within 60 years, according to historical evidence, descendants of the original settlers moved to what is now New Mexico, Arizona, and California, then still part of Mexico, bringing with them vestiges of Judaism which survive to this day. Discovering of Jewish Roots one family named Villarreal freely acknowledged their remote Jewish ancestors and have written about them from the point of view of conversos. The family with the branches in South Texas and Mexico make it clear that they will remain Catholics. Another example is that of Father William Sanchez of Albuquerque. As a boy, he never understood why his Catholic families spun tops on Christmas, shunned pork, and spoke quietly about their ancestors, who left medieval Spain. After watching a genealogical television program, Father Sanchez tracked his DNA and discovered that he and his family were part of a New Mexico group of Jews, descendants who maintained some Jewish traditions of their ancestors while adhering to Catholicism. Today, about 20,000 Mexicans are able to trace their Jewish ancestors. Two genealogical studies of the 18th century, the Archivo General de la Nación de México and the Ramo de la Inquisición, suggest that Father Miguel Hidalgo y Acosta, the father of Mexican independence, had a conversal background, and the Bartolomé de las Casas, a bishop who fought to free slaves in Nueva España, also had Jewish ancestors. Although their families were sincere converts, it is ironic that expelling Jews from Spain precipitated events that eventually led to Spain's loss of Mexico. Between 1700 and 1865, some adventurous Jews immigrated to Mexico to escape the growing poverty and anti-Jewish attitudes of life in the old world. While they were not allowed to become citizens, a right granted only to Catholics, many who, became dur who came during the 165 years, many carried housewares, clothing, and novelties to remote villages of Mexico on the back of burros or mules, similar to those who traveled to the West in the United States. In 1865, Emperor Maximilian I issued an edict of religious tolerance and invited a number of German Jews to settle in Mexico. Few accepted the Emperor's invitation because two years later an official count listed only 20 Jewish families in Mexico City, although were probably more in the rest of the country. Separation of the Church and State After Maximilian was executed by firing squad in 1867, Benito Juarez became the President of Mexico. His liberal rule enforced separation of church and state. Non Catholics were allowed to establish themselves in Mexico. In 1882, 
to the assassination of Tsar Alexander II. Significant number of practicing Jews from Russia entered the country. In the early years of the 20th century, large numbers of Jews arrived after World War I. Some were fleeing pogroms of Russia and Eastern Europe. These were Ashkenazi Jews, descendants of medieval Jewish communities along the Rhine, associated with the Northern Europe and Germany. Another group, descendants from Jewish communities in the Iberian Peninsula, modern Spain and Portugal, called Sephardic, from Sephardit, which means Spanish in modern Hebrew. They fled the collapsing Ottoman Empire, which included Turkey and Morocco. Because of most of the Sephardic Jews had retained their Spanish heritage, they spoke a dialect of Spanish called Ladino, which made their lives easier than their Ashkenazic counterparts. All immigrants faced economically difficult lives. The Jews faced the same financial problems as all Mexicans. But coming from a part of the world where their lives were hard, had no difficulty in adapting to conditions in Mexican villages. Mexican Catholics and Jews share an important common characteristic. In both groups, the family was a predominant social group. Why did Jews choose Mexico as a destination rather than the United States? Mexico was attracted to them. Many had relatives or friends already who had settled in the country. In 1921 and 1924, the United States enacted laws restricting immigration. From 1920 to 1930, Jews in Mexico enjoyed a period of stability during which they prospered. The only recorded incidents of anti-Semitism came in the 1930s, when neo-Nazi right-wingers financed from Berlin staged anti-Jewish demonstrations in Mexico City. Demonstrators gained little support from the Mexican people. During the 1930s, the Jewish community battled anti-Semitism by forming the Federación de Sociedades Judías, as well as, as the still active Comité Central Israelita de México. 21st century. Mexico today has a Jewish community of between 40,000 and 50,000, with about 37,000 living in Mexico City. Majority of the Mexican citizens who practice Judaism are descendants of people who, from 1881 to 1939, found refuge here. Because Mexican economic prosperity allows religious tolerance, Jews enjoy the same rights as any other Mexican citizen. Most Mexican Jews are considered middle to upper middle class. Even with the recent economic troubles facing Mexico and the Jewish community, this country was attract has attracted Jews from other countries in Latin America. In Mexico City, there are more than 20 synagogues, several kosher restaurants, and at least 12 religious schools where almost 80% of the Jewish youth receive their education. Jewish communities can also be found in Guadalajara, Monterrey, Tijuana, Cancun, and San Miguel. Throughout all Mexico, 95% of Jewish families belong to a synagogue. Mexico City also contains the Tuvia Maizel Museum, dedicated to the history of Mexican Jewry and to the Holocaust. In early 2000s, Pope John Paul II called anti-Semitism a massive sin against humanity and the Holocaust an indelible stain on the history of the last century. In June 2003, President Vicente Fox helped pass a law for discrimination, including anti-Semitism, putting into law what has been practiced for years. Jews have certain positions in the federal government from 2000-2004. Jorge Castañeda Gutman was foreign minister. From 2000 to 2005, Santiago Levy Algasi was director of Social Security Institute. He was a prominent member of the Chamber of Commerce in Monterrey, Guadalajara, and Tijuana, whose former president of the city council was Marcos Levi. David Saúl Gauquil, a member of Tijuana City Council, said, 
quote, no one has ever commented adversely that I'm Jewish, end quote. Although the Juana has a population of 2 million, its Jewish population is only about 2,000. Tijuana also has the congregation Hebrea de Baja California, made up almost entirely of converted Mexican Catholics. It is non, its non-ordained leader, Carlos Samuel Salas, conducts spiritual outreach to Mexican of Jewish ancestry. Jews and descendants of Jews in Mexico have been well-respected journalists and artists. Jacobo Saludowski became a much-honored Mexican journalist and the first anchorman in Mexican television with his program 24 Horas. Fria Kahlo was the daughter of Guillermo Kahlo, born Carl Wilhelm Kahlo in Germany after his parents moved there from Hungary. Emigrated to Mexico in 1891, he changed his name to Guillermo. The lover of Leon Trotsky and flamboyant artist maintained that her father was a Hungarian Jew and never denied her Jewish heritage. In 1935, her husband, converso de San Demiurlis Diego Rivera, wrote, quote, Jewishness is the dominant element in my life. From this has come my sympathy with the downtrodden masses, which motivates all my work. End quote. Many other prominent Mexicans, like President Porfirio Diaz, Francisco Madero, and Jose Lopez Portillo, have referenced their Jewish descent from commercial roots. There's even a Jewish bullfighter, Sidney Franklin, born Sidney Frumkin in New York in 1903, who fought bulls in Spain and Mexico. Hemingway in the, in the afternoon wrote, quote, Franklin is brave with a cold, serene, and intelligent valor. End quote. He died in 1976 after a career fighting bulls and presenting bull fights on American TV. Chapala and Ajiji. The Chapala Ajijic area is home to a group of expat American Jews who have their own synagogue. The late Chapala Jewish Congregation in Rivera del Pilar, which offers services twice each month on Saturday mornings and twice each month on Friday evenings. For most of my adult life, I have been a member of the synagogue. I appreciate the fact that there is a vibrant Jewish community here, continue to have the opportunity to participate in religious services. Occasionally, the Lake Chapala Jewish Congregation interacts with our Mexican Jewish counterparts in Guadalajara. We also interact with the Mexican community. Here, fulfilling our religious requirement to perform his vote, to honor the commandments, and do good deeds. The congregation also has Mexican members who have returned to their ancient Jewish roots. Majority of the Jews in Chapala, Ajijic area, are retirees from the United States, like me, or from Canada, seeking a more relaxed Mexican lifestyle, as well as other lower cost of living. Currently, has no permanent rabbi. There are several members who acknowledge whose knowledge and background fulfill the role very well, enabling them to lead services. As in the past, Jews find they have much in common with their fellow Mexicans. Both groups are sincerely religious and family-oriented, and historically both have been victims of oppression and tyranny. The combination of perseverance of Jews and tolerance by Mexicans, both official as and individuals, has permitted Judaism to put down deep roots. Ultimately, however, like all who live in Mexico, our future will depend on Mexico's social and economic progress. This was published on February 8, 2013 by Mel Goldberg. There's many more topics to discuss. We will also have soon another presentation based on my research called The Case for Crypto-Judaism. In it, I'll discuss the following topics. 
at the 40th Annual Texas Hispanic Genealogical Historical Conference. I mentioned that Maimonides was instrumental in developing the idea that Jews converted under duress are able to return to Judaism. However, there is much more that needs to be explained from this lecture. On the next episode, we will discuss my presentation at the 20th Annual Society for Crypto-Judaic Studies Conference in San Antonio, which took place in 2010. There, I discuss the Jewish perspective on crypto-Jews. I show insights from halachic, Jewish legal, related to the status of crypto-Jews. I explore the writings of the philosophical master Maimonides. In his work, Igerich Hashemad, the letter on martyrdom, he stands out regarding his perspective on the anosim of his time. He writes, quote, Now, if he did not surrender himself to death, but transgressed under duress, and did not die, he did not act properly, and under compulsion he profaned God's name. However, he is not to be punished by any of the seven means of retribution. Not a single instance is found in the Torah in which force individuals sentenced to any of these punishments, whether transgression was light or grave. Only if he who acts voluntarily is subject, as scripture directs, but the person who acts defiantly, that soul shall be cut off. A quote from Book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 30. This epistle to the Moroccan Jewish community of the 12th century deals with their forced conversions to Islam as compared to the modern-day Anosim, who are descendants of those who were forcibly converted to Catholicism. The letter is a response to an identified rabbi who wrote to the Jews of Morocco, condemning them as heretics. At the time of the presentation, there was one contemporary scholar of religious law who agreed with the 12th century rabbi and considers the letter of Maimonides a fiasco. Haim Soloveitchik believed the letter written by Maimonides contradicted the Mishnah Torah, his famous work on Jewish legal practice, and has a flimsy position in a makeshift argument. This letter and its critique are relevant to the debate of modern-day conversos or Anosim, as there are two prevalent views regarding this issue, either in their Muslim or Christian forms. On one side, the Jewish community helps them achieve repentance, as expressed by Maimonides known as the Brambam, and on the other, it condemns them, as Soloveitchik did, clearly indicating the refusal to understand the history of the crypto-Jews. Voy caminando a la montaña